0: My name is Richard Morellis, and I want to welcome you to The Prison Post. This is your podcast for conversations surrounding the need to reform prisons from the perspective of formerly incarcerated people, community members, and leaders in the restorative justice movement. The Prison Post will feature an episode every Wednesday with people who are in the fight to restore lives and heal communities. All right, we're back. Here we go. Uh, Welcome to The Prison Post, everyone. My name is Richard Morellis. This is my co-host and favorite philosopher, Uh, Jason Bryant.
1: Hello, everyone. And I'm here with the question, which came first, the chicken or the egg?
0: It had (laughs) had to be the chicken. (laughs) Definitely. Okay. And um, one of the things I want to highlight before we get started, this is our uh, 40th episode. And something cool is, is Jason's about to celebrate his one year of freedom. I'm just celebrating my two years of freedom. And it's great to be with you all. Um, after so many episodes and, and having fun and having conversations with different people, we're super excited about our guest today, Catherine Hervey. Um, You're going to get to hear her dynamic story and the work she's done in film and art. And so, welcome to the Prison Post, Kath- Prison Post, Catherine.
2: Thank you. Thank you for having me. Congratulations to both of you.
0: Thank you. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. As always, I'd like to do a little introduction and share a little bit about you with our, with our, with our audience. Um, and so Catherine, Catherine is an artist and filmmaker whose work focuses on those of us who live in the margins, but refuse to be marginalized. She's, she's interested in what's hiding in the dark crevices and corners of the American landscape. And sort of reminds me about uh, Lisa Ling. She's a, uh, she does some similar work and, and, uh, Jason has worked with Lisa Ling and on her, uh, on CNN episode, uh, this is life with Lisa Ling. And, um, She just touches into those collective psyches, believing truth is often found in the dark before it shines in the light. Catherine was the publisher and editor-in-chief of Shades of Contradiction, a nationally distributed arts and culture magazine dedicated to critical thinking and creative action. She has produced, directed, and art-directed short documentary and narrative films, including The Cocktail Ratress and the PBS broadcast slash kcts broadcast the prison within her award-winning first feature film sprung from her work as a los angeles public defender and volunteer prison college instructor where she worked weekly with men who were incarcerated like us uh, who had committed violent crimes and had been sentenced to die in prison unredeemable in the eyes of the law she saw the exact opposite and sought to create a film that captured the complexity of incarcerated people in stark contrast to the dominant black and white depictions of victims, the incarcerated, and those of us who have been labeled as criminals. Welcome to the Prison Post, Catherine.
2: Thank you. Thank you.
0: We would like to start off by showing the trailer to your film, The Prison Within, and then we'll pick up from there. He, in cold blood, gunned down my husband, and then stood over him and kept shooting. I did come to prison because I did something
1: terrible. I, I, I killed somebody. I am only just a murder. I was an instrument of destruction.
2: I am a conservative hardliner. I got the death penalty. I got what I
1: wanted. Nothing changed. I didn't feel better. It didn't work.
0: Coming to saying Quentin, though, is actually what put everything in perspective.
2: It's really about being on a journey
1: together to connect the dots of their lives that led to a crime, to walk deeply and profoundly in
0: accountability. I'm sorry for
1: taking your son.
2: In the way, that you allow survivors to come in and say what we need to say. I can't even begin to quantify how healing that has been for me. It's how this system
0: should work. Do
1: you want him to remain on death
0: row? No, not at all. Not at all.
1: Hurt people hurt people and we've been hurting each other for the It's time for change.
0: Catherine, um, to my knowledge, you were the first person that was allowed to go into San Quentin to film this. Is that true?
2: To, to film a circle like this, yeah, to film one of these circles um, so intimately and so in depth and over time, yes.
0: I first heard about this program back in 2012. The the Vogue program was that so, solely the program that you did the filming with?
2: It, it is. It okay. is. Um, although, although I want to say it's it's interesting. I mean, you know, the program is wonderful. Vogue is wonderful. The Insight Prison Project is wonderful. But um, you know, to me, the film is is so much more than about a program. Right. Yeah.
0: Well, uh, the, the, the Vogue program, victim offender education program is a restorative justice program that brings, uh, people together to talk about their trauma, to talk about the trauma they experienced, the trauma they caused, the hurt and harm they caused, and actually bring about real restorative justice by bringing in those survivors, uh, who, who have been harmed and to seek restorative justice from their side as well. I want to say that I I watched it last night and, and, Mm -hmm. um. It was you know Jason and I we spend a lot of time on the present and working towards the future with the program that we have and 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 creating um, jobs for formerly incarcerated people in the tech industry and and you know we work day and night and so our a lot of our focus isn't on the past and thinking about um our experience in prison and to go back and watch that and and to remember my twenty one years in there and and then even think back to my own the trauma I experienced growing up at times and, and my friends and brothers that are still there after all these years and what they experienced. And then the restorative justice testimony that I, that I got to experience myself. I mean, it was emotional. Um, within within the first 10 minutes I was, I was falling apart and, and I want to bring Jason in here, but, but I also want to ask you to, to outline what you mean by the bigger picture.
2: Yeah, thank you for that, um, and and thank you for watching it. You know, it was it, it was very much made all along the way with with you in mind, right? With people who are incarcerated and formerly incarcerated people watching this and feeling reflected. So, um, but to answer your question, you know, the the concept is the prison within. Uh, you know, from from the very beginning. I knew that I wanted to have uh, people inside in it alongside survivors and to really be telling their stories parallel to each other, to, to really show that we all have these really parallel healing paths um, as survivors, that we're survivors before we harm other people. And The Prison Within is kind of like to say it's this boat that the film, that the narrative is landing on, which is it is really about truth and reconciliation. So, you know, it's about truth and reconciliation of the self. And then once we have that, then how do we take that out into society, right? Into our culture as Americans, which really is um, a country built on slavery and mm-hmm. the annihilation of millions of people. And why we're unable to look at that. We're really unable to look at that. So the prison within is about how it's so hard for us as human beings. And I think especially as Americans, I think the culture really supports it to not look within to not look at ourselves, Mm -hmm. to always have Band-Aid fixes, to be like, oh, my God, look at that over there. Let's just sweep that under the rug, right? And we do that culturally as well, which in my mind is a huge reason why we even have a system of of incarceration like this in the first place. A punishment model, right? Exactly. Exactly. An eye eye for an eye, Mm -hmm. right? Or Mm -hmm. punitive versus... um, not, not even
1: rehabilitated, but healing. Mm-hmm. So I have a question for you, Catherine. What was like the initial inspiration for you to pursue a piece of this nature?
2: So, so many things, you know, it was me being a public defender. I was also a volunteer college instructor in prisons. I was also working in already in different restorative justice capacities with survivors on the inside and people on the outside, but really looking back on it now, I think what really fueled this was when I was a college instructor in a men's prison and you go in, you know, you go in every week, you guys know, right? This, this, this teacher, these instructors, these volunteers, they come in every week and you form relationship with, with, with each other. And I very, very quickly realized that really the majority of the men who I was coming into contact with, who I was teaching, had LWOP, had Life Without Parole. Mm. And I was really struck by the levels of integrity, of accountability, of healing, of growth, of of intellect, of, you know, emotional intelligence from these men who were considered to be unredeemable, not just in the eyes of the law, but society at large, you know, that's what people think, you know, the walls work, the walls work to keep people out and to not really know who is in there and what is going on in there And then, you know, more striking, I would leave because I got to leave, of course, Mm -hmm. and go out into the world and just, I was, the the contrast, I was so struck by the lack of integrity and accountability and pettiness in people in the outside world. So. Here's us on the outside world, supposedly better people going along and, I don't know, making decisions about our lives, right. and what is worthy and what is not. And I just felt like these men need to be out in society as leaders mm-hmm. in their community, right? And that nothing is nothing is going to change. Until people see that, until people see people in prison, people see people who have committed acts of violence as human beings,
1: sure. first and foremost. Sure. It's interesting what you just said about these individuals needing to be in the community leading. There's actually been substantial research supporting the thesis mm-hmm. that it's proximate leaders who typically find the solutions to the problems because they're, they're the ones who are closest to the pain points. So right in line with what you're offering. It's very Exactly.
2: Exactly. I mean, you know, like senators are coming up with this. Are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. What do they know? What do they know? Sure.
1: It's, right. the, it's the lived experience that can inform people about what are the solutions that are available to us and that, that are going to work the best for the people, right?
2: You know? Yeah. Not just policy-wise, too, right? I mean, because I always feel like when we look at criminal justice as being top down. I really think it's street up, right? Sure. So, um, you know, who who are who are people on the street going to listen to? Right. Joe Biden or you guys?
1: Right. So another interesting point, it seems that everyone knows no matter what side of the aisle you're on, whether it's the left or the right, that the criminal justice system is broken. Right. Whether you're, you know, a liberal and you're saying, you know, it's not right to treat human beings this way or you're conservative and you're saying it's fiscally not sound everybody agrees the criminal justice system is broken. My question to you is how do we move towards a solution in your estimation?
2: Well, again, I'm going to go back to needing to see people as human, right. And like really connecting community trauma to people ending up in prison in the first place. Mm. And well, I have so many thoughts going through my head right now you know I've, I've had people watch the film where they've said to me wow before I watched your film I was a total lock them up throw away the key and now you've changed the way that I look at this right which also makes me think of when I first started making the film I mean I really think we're on the right trajectory here because when I first started making this film, it took me about six years to make, right? So this was before, um, you know, trauma informed that um, Black Lives Matter, before people were looking at brain development and how people age out of crime really after 25 years, you know, before all of this was really out on the platform And people looked at me like I was speaking Mandarin when I was (laughs) talking about what I was trying to do with the film. And of course now the film is out and people are more receptive to it. And so I I think it's not necessarily about solutions. What is the way I think it's about continuing a dialogue. There's so much dialogue needs to happen. And so much introspection needs to happen. How am I as a human being complicit in this? What can I do? Uh, You know, a lot of times I'll get asked, how do we replace the criminal justice system with a restorative justice system? And, you know, that's not necessarily the solution either because then it becomes another co-opted system to some extent. Right.
1: Sure.
2: So, you know, I'm, I'm hesitant to say, Oh, this is what we need to do. Here's the steps and here's the solutions because I think as a country really dealing with these issues, we're a little bit, ba- we're babies, we're babies. Mm. And it's baby steps, it's baby steps and learning to listen to each other and to acknowledge each other. It sounds corny <laughs> maybe, but um, I, don't,
0: I don't think that sounds corny at all. So. No, I don't think that sounds corny at all. I, I would share that, you know, what, what you're talking about, like even this, even this program right here, the, the restorative justice model that, that the victim offender education group was doing. Um, I never saw a group like that inside of a solid ed. I was in Solidad 18 years. Jason was there. What about 10 years? Yeah. 10 years. And mm-hmm. this type of model is something that even in the existing system can bring about the most healing, um, allow people mm-hmm. to come to the truth. And in there right now, it's more like caught. You gotta, you gotta catch it, rather than the system, uh, you know, the justice system being intentional. Let's, you know, let's get behind this. Let's put our money behind behind this. We were talking about the numbers the other day, and it's nine. There's ninety four thousand people in, in the California prison system and sixteen billion dollar budget. And we were there when there was one hundred and thirty five thousand people there on a on an eight billion dollar budget. And out of uh out of out of that budget of one hundred and sixty five thousand. Dollars a year that goes to supposedly house someone. There, only five hundred dollars uh, is going towards rehabilitation. And so when oh. I think when I think about that, and then there's the only time that I was really touched by something similar were was a program that out of Salinas where mo- five mothers who had murdered sons would come in and they would give a presentation for two hours, and you know everyone would try to get in there to hear them, and there wouldn't be a dry eye in the place. And so that's what I mean by this is more caught because we just knew it was, um, what do they call it? What do they call that that program in there? Or um, they call it like, like a, oh, there's going to be a victim awareness program sure. coming in. Right. And and so of course we wanted to go there and a lot of people wanted to go there because you know, that's something you, kn- you need for board, but you're not really, I had no clue of what that was early on. There was a program called the impact program where different, um, tw- they spent 12 weeks with um, survivors or, or victims of violence who would come in and tell their story. But I, I didn't see another one from 2001 until 2014. And so it was, it was very emotional. And there was also another lady, one other workshop I was able to experience, for, her name was Amalia Molina, and she would come in and she had these cards and she would give a scenario of a young woman being murdered. And then th- she would hand out cards to everybody in the, in the, in the audience. There might have been like 50 of us there, and someone would have the role of, you're her mother, you're her brother. You're her father. And then she would ask questions on what are you feeling right now? What are you experiencing right now? And they were, you know, her attempt was to get us to tap into that empathy. And I don't think that a lot of people get that healing and tap into empathy um, because, um, you know, the, the, the state is not really uh, intentional about bringing in these these types of programs as they should be.
2: Yeah, I mean what you're what you're speaking to to me is you know, it's it's out of the head and in the heart, really. Um which I think is very hard to do inside there with um you know, I, I wanna say this. What really strikes me about going into a prison is that everything there is designed To make you think that you are worthless. Mm. Really? I mean, you can only, you know, hey, you're going to wake up at this point when the lights go on and you're going to eat at these points and you can move from A to B, from this time to this time, right? I mean, you're going to
1: share this closet with another grown individual, right?
2: uh, Yeah. You Mm. know, it's like you can't be trusted to make Mm. any sort of decision on your own. Sure. what does that do? I mean, I don't need to tell you guys, of course, mm-hmm. but, but again, it's like, there needs to be so much more awareness sure. about what it's really like in there
0: Absolutely, for,
2: for things to change.
0: And I got that a little bit from the video, like going back to the trauma. And I just thought about, I, I really spent every night inside of a concrete cell for 21 years. And I didn't even really think about the impact that that had. You know, the last few holidays spending with family members and saying like really every holiday, every night was in this 10 by six or 10 by eight concrete box. And, and what were the effects there? You know, I don't have too much time to think about it, but I'm sure it was something. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and you're right. You know, that, that the whole system is set up to punish, to remind you, even the, even always calling you an inmate, always calling you a number, and really, um, their perspectives are not that you are a human being. In fact, the most inspiring that I ever was in prison, um, most inspired I ever was when pr- in prison was when the volunteers like yourself came in and actually did treat us like human beings. Actually called us by our names, and and I think that they're they're on the other side, you know, from the, the system's perspective. Oh, like we don't want overfamiliarity. You know, they 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 they're, they're, they're going to con you into bringing them something and 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 things like that. And so they err on the side of caution and then just lose touch with our humanity. Um, you know, thank God for visits with family members that could come in for those who have family members to go in or else, you know, you begin to lose that sense of identity. I remember getting out and we were still calling ourselves, you know, I was an inmate for such a, I wasn't an inmate, I was Richard. And mm-hmm. I, that was my location. That's not who I am.
1: Mm-hmm. So, so, Catherine, you, you, you talk about trauma and, you know, Rich is sharing some of like our experiences of being traumatized, and maybe some of the strategies that we used to like not think about it so much. You know, the fact that we slept in a six by nine, or mm-hmm. the violence that we watched, you know, regularly, and acted like it was normal. What's some of the trauma that you've witnessed or experienced? Not only as someone who went in as an educator, but someone who went in to document other people's st- st- stories.
2: You're asking me about the trauma that I witnessed inside a prison.
1: Mm-hmm. In both contexts, as an educator for yourself, like, I mean, for yourself, like what was hardest for you to really stomach as someone coming in from the streets, educating on on one hand, and then filming a uh, a documentary on the other. It's
2: a really good question. The the first thing that's coming to mind is yeah when when I was an instructor which I want to say was in a very different prison not San Quentin with very very limited programming very very limited people coming in so like these men really did all the work themselves was how palpable you could I could feel their longing. Mm. For accountability mm-hmm. and to be seen, but not really even having the language to process that, right? Like, right. it's it's it was so palpable to me the way that they carried the weight of their crimes and the harms that they caused. I mean, like, I literally, like, I felt it as an energy kind of steaming off of them and having no outlet for that whatsoever. Right. Because of course they can't contact anyone. They, they can't really, they they don't even talk about it. I realize they don't, you don't even really talk about it much amongst yourselves because it's my understanding that then that can kind of be used as collateral against you at a later date. Mm -hmm. So there's, so there's just, you know, they're just holding it. You're just holding it. And that's so much to hold so much Mm -hmm. to hold. And that, that was very difficult for me. I would say to, to feel that probably also because I didn't feel like I was qualified or that that's what I was there for (laughs)
1: to,
2: to, to, to heal that, to respond to that in in some way. But yeah, I I think that that's something else that people really need to know is, you know, you carry this. You guys carry this deep in your bones and deep in your cells. And that needs to be acknowledged because otherwise it's that trauma. It's trauma. It's still sure. tra- committing trauma against another person is still trauma Trauma on yourself that you're carrying. So, yeah, that as an instructor. And then when we went in as as a filmmaker, you know, when we went in to film... That was very different because in San Quentin they did have so much more programming and Mm -hmm. volunteers and and people coming in, you know? And I also want to say the vote program was co-created with the men in there, right? Like it was really the men that really started that program and built it up with the volunteers and the people coming in, the administration. I really just felt... So honored, so honored to, to be a witness, to be such a close witness to such depths of emotional vulnerability and accountability that I had never really witnessed before, right. In inside or outside and for them to allow me to come in and to trust. It was me and my husband with cameras and to really share themselves in that way uh, was, I mean, it it was, it was so powerful.
1: It was, you know, I,
2: I learned so much
1: from them. Was it, was it at any time or at any point, was it difficult to hear the pain from the victims? And, the confession or the account of the people who committed crimes and caused harm.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Especially when they were still struggling with it the most, right? Like, I don't know if you remember saying in the film, you know, so much of course doesn't end up in there, but he was, you know, he, and I understand it takes a very long time was really struggling with with self-acceptance and and self-forgiveness. Mm. And we, you know, we stepped in as filmmakers and started asking questions just like the men did to help to help him process it. And that was really hard, which you know, again speaks to the piece that I was talking about before is the things we carry. The things we carry, right, and the things that really, you know, with the help of community and loved ones, but that really only we as individuals can release and unburden ourselves from.
0: I I love what you're sharing right there. In fact, the the very first when your film first starts, there's a quote, and it says, "Trauma is a fact of life. It does not, however, have to be a life sentence." And -hmm. you're talking about the things we carry. Uh, Jason and I read a book called The Three Laws of Performance, and in that book it talks about the life sentences we have given ourselves in the language of our minds about ourselves, about our own limitations, and really the only way to, to break free is to change the way we think and change the language we use and the way we think about ourselves, and along the way we discovered some of our own life sentences, and I also felt that a lot carrying that, and I had a visitor come in and he said, "You know, the past is past, Richard. You, you are not defined by your past. You have to stop, you know, self-flagellating and beating yourself up. It's not who you are. It's what you did, and you've been forgiven. And uh, but yeah, it just took 12 years or so to break free of that life sentence to that that weight that you're talking about to continue just to to punish. And 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 uh, another note is that uh, Jason also had the experience with uh, Lisa Ling. This is Life with Lisa Ling. She went in and did." documentary called Prison to, uh, from Prison to Prep School. Um, And he got to experience the cameras coming in and uh, uh, for two weeks in there. We talked about it on the show last week. It hasn't (laughs) been released yet. But, um, you know, it was daunting task there. Sure.
1: I think it was a little bit of a different experience than what your film captured. It was, it was uh, a broad and a very focused. So like the cameras were following me in the chow hall and in my cell. And, you know, it's as much as I understood that, this was something that was a conversation bigger than me and my discomfort. There was still a lot of attention. Like what's all this, this going on? It's not normal. It's not normal to see that, that type of thing inside of an institution. Um, did yeah. you, did you experience that when you were filming that there was a lot of looky loos and curious people? Like what are these cameras <laughs> doing here? <Looky-loos>. <laughs> <laughs> well,
2: definitely when you go out on the yard, yeah. You know, everyone's like, Hey, yo, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Getting the camera and, turning on the charm for sure.
0: Oh yeah. We know about that one.
1: (laughs) You got the charm. I think it's the guys in blue that get some of the criticism. (laughs) I got a little bit of the, uh, the slings and arrows, you know, because it's like that. I think the pervading thought was like, what are you talking about? Who said that you could speak? Because there is still that undergirding within many institutions, that idea of like anti-social prison politics. It's still there, even though we have those groups and we have those opportunities to rehabilitate and have productive conversations about what it's going to take to reenter society and be successful. There's still that undergirding of of negativity. Absolutely. I mean, there is a whole different world in there with its own set of rules. Sure, sure. Mm -hmm. You said something Mm -hmm. earlier, Catherine, which I kind of wanted to follow up on. You were talking about that we as a country are relatively young in this whole narrative of, of, of speaking to each other and having dialogue and viewing people like people. And when you, when you shared that, it, it, my mind immediately thought to the way they do it in Europe and Germany in (laughs) particular. And Mm -hmm. are you, you're familiar with the, the, the way they do prison over there and, and.
2: Oh no, a a little bit. I was actually thinking of something else, but please. So
1: so there's, 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 there's a, a, a story that was shared with us. Um, while we were inside, about a man who visited the prisons in Germany, and 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 he when he went there, the the cells are really big and lavish. They have an abundance of programming, mm-hmm. and and he asked the administrator. He said, "You know, how do you justify this spending?" And the answer was this: that these are German citizens, and when they commit a crime, yes, they need to be held accountable for the choices they made. But we, as a German society, believe we can, can created a context or an atmosphere mm-hmm. that made that decision seem acceptable so our job as administrators is to re-educate and reintegrate as as quickly as possible in in your in your experience my question is like what can we do as a society to create a context that takes some ownership on our part as well as a community for people who commit crime uh rehabilitating themselves and being reintegrated into the community
2: well, you, you know, it, it struck me when you said that, that they're considered to be citizens, mm. right? Mm. And my, my first thought is, well, but do people and do administrators specifically within our prison system really consider Black people and people of color to mm. be citizens? Great question. And, you know, my heart says, no, not really. <laughs> mm. they, they, they really don't. They, I mean, you know, yes, it's, you know, it's, it's not, it's not black and white, of course, but.
1: There's something there.
2: It's, it's it, I mean, it's just, it's such a different society. Sure. It's such a different society. And when, when you first mentioned, Germany, like well, so and this this answers your question too. Is what needs to be done right in Germany? They have Holocaust museums and Holocaust Mm -hmm. remembers all over the place, right? In this place here, something horrible and atrocious happened, right? Where we took away the humanity Mm -hmm. of this, you know, the life and the humanity of this person, and there's this Ted talk with Brian Stevenson too, where he's talking to, you know, some political person in Germany about the death penalty and that they said to Brian Stevenson, there is no way that we could have the death penalty (laughs) in Germany, considering our history. Like it would, it would be, it would be immoral. And I think that what we need to do here, this goes back to the truth and reconciliation, right? Like, why don't we have museums mm. that talk about slavery? They talk about lynching throughout this country so that we really know what we even need to heal
1: and be aware of. That's a remarkable observation. And just to go a step further, what we do have in some states are statutes of Confederate generals, mm-hmm. right? So. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that goes back to what you said earlier about our desire to sweep things under the rub, uh, under the rug rather than address them outwardly. So
0: yeah. Yeah. I remember the quote that, uh, Sujata shared. I wrote it down because I thought it was powerful. She said the current system of justice asks what law was broken, who broke it. And how do we punish them? She said the restorative justice model is the opposite. It asks a very different set of questions. What happened? what needs to happen now. And then let's bring people together to answer those questions. And she said that it doesn't have to be like Jason's talking about creating a new context, right? A new context could be that this doesn't devalue or excuse the choices that we made, but using this model brings people to their own personal agency. You start talking about it. Eventually, even, even if you're the guy that you talked about who's struggling, eventually you come to the point where you get you know in the bible there's a verse that says and you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you, set you free mm-hmm. and there is freedom in truth telling and when you can get there and tell it you know there's there's freedom there and um so it doesn't it doesn't take away um the truth and 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 what happens next is you can start a context or a structure for okay what do we got to do now what do we got to do now and then put those structures in place so that it never happens again and um, I don't, I, I don't know exactly the, the 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 road to go. I know we spend time at the Capitol working on um, um, housing bills and 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 funding for this and funding for that, and and perhaps we need to 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 get there and have those conversations as well. To you know, there's you know we need those types of <laughs> funding for those programs much more than we do for lawnmower repair, or.
2: Yeah. And I, I think too, I think it's hard because it's always like, how do we fix this? What is the solution? Right. And it's like, we go straight to the solution Mm. when it's generally not the right people even making those solutions, Mm. (laughs) right Right? we're just like rip roaring over everyone that really needs to be involved in the solution and whose voices and opinions need to heard to even get to the solution and then also be involved in the solution and then also realizing that the world is fluid no solution is fixed Mm -hmm. and you know we keep moving we keep moving
0: yeah
1: do do you think that so you know, There's obviously many movements that are sprouting up these days in regards to uh, criminal justice reform. We're talking like Black Lives Matter, a lot of different conversations that need to be had. Do you think that there is a risk of going too far and alienating a segment of the United States like population? I, and the reason I ask this question is because I think of like, what's happening in politics um, and some of the, the, the sharp divisions that are being... Made, do you think that there is a way that is more collaborative in addressing these harms and moving forward in a more productive way as as a community?
2: Absolutely. I think it's gonna have to happen. You yeah. know, I mean right now I feel everything is everything is black and white, everything is very divisive mm. in liberal contexts. In mainstream contexts, in conservative contexts, you know, pick a side and stay there, and it's fixed. Everybody's unmoving. You know, I I can tell you that some of the nastiest rooms that I've been in have been in with you know in meetings with restorative justice organizations (laughs) because you know they can't come together and agree, and it becomes the opposite of restorative. Mm
1: -hmm, Sure.
2: Um but, uh, you know, that's the thing. That's, that's part of us being babies, right? right. Is it's just like, it kind of has to get worse to a certain extent before it's going to get better. Sure. And people's voice, you know, people are angry people want to be heard and rightly so and rightly so, which again, it goes back to listening. You know, why can't we just Listen to each other and, and hold it all. Like we need to be able to hold it all, right? We right. need to be able to hold your voices and you know the voices of the men in the film who are incarcerated, who you know people would say are extremely progressive, mm-hmm. and also hold the stories and the voices of uh, you know Trump voters sure. and white supremacists, even that doesn't come from nowhere, (laughs) Right, right. you know, that is, that is trauma too. That is trauma too. And I feel like right now as a society, we're not, we're not able to step back and hold it all and just say, wow, look at what we've created. People are in pain. Mm. People everywhere feel left out. Mm. Right. Yeah. And but that's where we are right now. That's where we are, which is you know why I keep going back to dialogue. Let's just keep listening to each other. Let's keep talking. You know, yeah. ev- every every voice is valid, even if it's diametrically opposed to yours.
1: Sure.
2: That's when I think we have to show up the most so that eventually I do think it would be wonderful to have, in movement liberations that include everybody. <laughs>
1: right. Right. Absolutely. I think one of the things that, you know, Richard and I are probably most proud of, uh, in our, not only our friendship, but in our team dynamic is that when we were incarcerated in an atmosphere that was largely like antagonistic based on ethnicity, right. With the mm-hmm. race, race-based gang politics, we pushed against it and said, you know what, we're going to work together and we're going to transform this culture by serving a vision or a mission that's bigger than any one of us, a positive one. And, you know, the results were remarkable. Like, from the softball field to, you know, rehabilitative programming that we helped create and deliver, uh, we had a lot of success. And it's it's an interesting parallel because when we were inside, inside a prison, right, like you said, there's so much of an atmosphere of like, you know, you're you're worthless in here, you can't do this. But we pushed against that together, and we had such incredible success. And then to come home and see a culture that's, Largely turned on its head, right? It's it's like the it's like the prison culture on steroids out here. When you're talking about these sharp divisions, yeah. So,
0: I wanted to highlight something about the, that stuck out to me in your film. I think you did a, a brilliant job in um, showing the balance between allowing one person to to talk about their own personal trauma, and you know, sometimes in prison they talk about we call those contributing factors. What were all the things leading up to you actually committing your crime and your thinking and your beliefs and your behavior what happened to you you know the you definitely created space for that but the, also you had space for the other side of the coin which was that personal responsibility accountability and the programs that Jason and I created we sometimes I don't I don't want to say we looked down upon the trauma uh, focused groups we didn't we didn't do that but we spent more time we spent you know, eighty percent of our time focused on the personal responsibility side because we saw that a lot of the outside groups with the that would come in and discuss, you know, trauma, that there was a tendency for for people to use the use those traumatic stories as an excuse to perpetuate, you know, continued behavior patterns, or, you know, still, you know, still drinking or drugging or or, or thinking in ways that are not productive. And so, and so we said, well, along the way, we want you to tell the story, and discuss the trauma, but we want you to talk about what was your part along the way, and 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 that led to strong empowerment and efficiency and effectiveness, and for people to get a hold of their stories as well. I just, I just think we spend a lot more time on the other end of it sure. than this side, and I definitely think there's, there's there's a balance because there's healing in getting there. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought a lot about a lot of stories of, from my childhood last night while watching your. Show your video, your documentary, um, and not only do people need it in there, they need it out here.
2: Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's you know, it's it, 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 you know, it's a spiritual process. It's life. Absolutely. <laughs> With without that component of accountability, it goes nowhere. Personal responsibility, it goes nowhere. Whether you're in prison, outside of prison wherever you are in your life. So yeah, that was extremely important to me. And also I think, I think that people need to see that. People need to see that side of it because that's the side that people
1: don't see as well. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Jay, you got some- S- So
1: yeah, th- for me, it was interesting just on that thread about the distinction between identifying our trauma and taking responsibility for the choices we make because, you know, people suffer trauma every day. Mm-hmm. The question is what you do with it, right? So, for those of us who commit crimes, obviously we use it, we use those stories to perpetuate our criminality in some way, and people are hurt in the process. But when we don't address it, we don't address the harm that was caused to us that we suffered, and then the harm we caused, it just becomes this superficial um, pursuit of like looking out the window and blaming everyone else for everything that's going wrong in the world. So, I know for myself, you know, one of the, the biggest transformational moments of my incarceration was when I recognized the disappointment that I brought to my family and my father in particular who had passed away. And I had a breakthrough, like, like, you know, losing my dad. Uh, it was my second year of incarceration. We were on a lockdown and my dad dies unexpectedly. My mom comes to visit me through two inches of plexiglass. I couldn't even hug her. And, you know, for almost six years after that, I didn't shed a tear and I didn't even understand why. It was because, you know, it was traumatic to lose my father in such a fashion and to have no real, not give myself permission to mourn, to mourn, right? So it's very instructive, that like the understanding that that traumatic events happen to us and we can either use it to hold us back or to move forward. Forgive ourselves, you know, forgive the people who may have caused us harm if we really want healing in our own lives and then move forward and identify what we can do from this point on. So that's really great. Um I had a question for you Catherine about like what's next for you so in in way of restorative justice what's what's next for you
2: uh, In the way of restorative justice um you know I I have a couple of pieces that I'm starting to work on some of them uh some you know prison related will say less less so restorative justice related Um, and then I have another project that I'm working on. I'm I'm very much into breaking down systems, paradigm shifts, right? So for me, the prison within was, was trying to bring a focus to a paradigm shift of breaking down the hierarchies within our criminal justice system, let's say, right? It's like kind of within that sphere and, one of the other projects that I'm working on, basically, trying to rip down the patriarchy, we'll say, <laughs> okay. Okay. It's focused on 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 female artists, and but restorative justice. I'm actually, I'm I'm not, you know, where I, I moved, I moved, so kind of the organizations that I was involved in, less so now. I'm really more involved as a filmmaker at this point people reaching out to me to tell their stories and hey have this idea for this film um alternative sentencing and really it's about really fostering my relationships I have a lot of relationships with people inside and they're very intimate and they're very important to me and so a lot of my attention is going there right now especially with the covid and everything that's this everything that's been happening
0: is there a current film that you're working on right now ah uh, Top secret. Oh, no.
2: <laughs> there's, there's a few, they're all in development though. Every everything well that's not true. The the one that the about the female artists, that one's actually in production. I've i started filming that What
0: last. was the name of that?
2: The Creatrix. The Creatrix.
0: The Creatrix. All right. A wonderful name. Creator and Matrix. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like mm-hmm. that. Would you tell us a little bit about it?
2: Yeah, so it's gonna be following female artists and or visionaries who are creating platforms to change the worlds, but outside of the system, kind of like what you said about those of us who are marginalized, but refuse to be marginalized, right? So right now, you know, we're coming out of the Trump era. There's been the Me Too movement, all of this. um, A lot has been happening between the sexes, let's just say. And the main call is for women to come into the systems and change the systems. But I think that what needs to happen is that the system wasn't really made for us in the first place and it's broken and it's toppling. So I'm very interested and focused on women, whether they be artists or visionaries or activists who are, we're just like, oh, my God, what is that system over there? I have no time for that because what I'm over here, I'm creating something completely outside of it that's going to subvert it and bust it open.
0: That's awesome. Would you give an example of one of those?
2: <laughs> yeah, sure. I'm dying
0: to hear it all I don't know the details here on one of these.
2: So, yeah, the, the woman that I'm filming right now, her name is Paris Hurley. And she's a musician, choreographer, queer punk artist. Um, and she's creating an album right now that's called The Heretic, mm. which is about being a heretic, basically.
1: <laughs> Self described. And- <laughs>
2: What is it? You know, what does it look like to operate with total freedom outside of the constructs of what it's supposed to be to be a woman in a society? Oh wow,
1: mm-hmm. that's great. Mm-hmm. That's great. watch
2: out. Look sounds, for it. Yeah,
1: it sounds thought provoking. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Catherine, what, where could people go to watch your films? I know the 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 one that you gave me was was through Vimeo. What are some of the avenues where where they could go to? To find out more about you, maybe a website or...
2: Sure, yeah. So there's two websites that they can go to. One is the prisonwithin.org. Um, I also have a website, katherinehervey.com that can also take you to the, the website and other work that I'm creating and have created. And But if you go to our prisonwithin.org websites, you can find all of the platforms that we're on. So iTunes, Vimeo, YouTube, pretty much all of the VOD, Comcast, Xfinity, here and in Canada. And most of them have links that will even take you there.
0: Great. I want to I wanna highlight that um, I think for those of us who are formerly incarcerated or justice involved, and my, my fiance watched with me, and she's, she's never been incarcerated before um, or even arrested, and she was emotional as well that your video, your, your documentary is, is cathartic. There was a lot of healing in it. So you don't have to have been there to, to, to experience the healing there. You know, it is the human experience, the tapping in. And a lot of stories came to mind from my own personal transformation, thinking back to some of the things that, that I was told, and, you know, you're never going to be good enough. You're, you're not smart enough to go to college, so just get that out of your brain. You're, you're, you're definitely not disciplined enough to go to the military. So get that out of your mind. Um, you, you, you know, you're not smart enough to get anything outside of a construction job. And I really believe that that was the ceiling for who I could be and what I could do. And while watching your film, some of those old thoughts came through and it was, it was emotional for me because I remembered them. I remember being told those things and how, um, I didn't even realize at the time how much I had internalized that stuff until I was in prison. And uh, it was also emotional to know that I don't believe that way anymore. Mm. And I've broken through those things. I don't believe any of those ideas about myself, but I did for a long time. For a long time, I did. Um, I tell Jason before the story of when um, I started going to college, and I would, take, I would only take one class at a time because I thought I would fail, and, um, and finally started taking two at a time. And it wasn't until and I would always hear those voices. And I was getting straight A's um but it wasn't until the 10th A in a row where another voice came into my mind and said um it's not about your ability it's about your willingness are you willing to work hard and continue to 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 get uh, a's or you know to do your best and before that i thought when i was getting a's like this must be one of them fake colleges one of the paper mills could this could this possibly i was finding every reason to discount the school or discount the work and it was just really discounting who I was because of those trauma narratives that were told. And to break free of that has is, uh, is been one of the best experiences of my life. And I really want to encourage our listeners to, to watch this movie, The Prison Within, so that if there's any of that going on with them, um, they can be inspired to let that go. There's no freedom there. There's no freedom there. <sighs> um, Jason?
1: No, that's great. Appreciate that, Rich.
0: Thank you so much for being on the prison post today. I want leave to leave, leave you with some of the last words. That, um, I, I feel like I just cut you off right now. Go ahead.
2: Oh, <laughs> no, I just, that was so beautiful what you shared. And thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And, uh, you know, I mean, yeah, you don't have to be in prison to be in prison. Mm. Hardly. Like, oh, the tales will weave up here. My gosh. You know, they can be, you know, we're, we're our harshest critics. So, yeah, so thank you for sharing that. And I just also wanted to say thank you. You know, it, it takes a huge collaborative team to make a film. And we had a very small, beautiful collaborative team. So I just want to give kind of a shout out to Aaron Kinway, amazing producer, to Massimo Bardetti, my husband, also producer and cinematographer,
1: and then also to our editor, Eric Friss
2: who, you
0: know,
1: none, none, of, none of this happens without the team. Right. One of our philosophies, however cliche it may be is that it takes a
0: teamwork to make a dream work. That's right. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> well, it sounds like, um, well, I, I guess I don't want to conclude without asking you one quick question. Uh, uh, was it easy for you to leave the career of, uh, being a public defender to being an artist?
2: Oh heck yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I thought it might be. <laughs> I,
2: I wasn't there very long. Like I, I really I really wasn't there very long. And you know, I, I I actually had kind of this this huge, you know, I guess spiritual experience where I got sober. Mm. And, you know, when you get sober you really start kind of looking around and I realized that I had to go back to making art, that I had to go back to creating things, or I was really going to die on <laughs> kind of this deep cellular level. Right. So, there's, yeah. There's
0: freedom in doing what you love, and it, it seems like you're living the dream right now. We feel like we're living the dream. Mm. Um, yeah,
2: let's yeah. keep doing it. Let's keep doing it. You know, something I want to add here to is, you know, Troy from the film, one year when he was up for parole, he was up before the board. Mm-hmm. They sent him back because his plan for getting out was um, too entrepreneurial. Oh, yeah. like
1: they, said, they said his parole plans were unrealistic.
2: They're unrealistic. Mm-hmm. Like, what, what are you talking about? You have to be laying, you know, getting rid of asbestos from people's houses. Mm.
0: Or, yeah, exactly.
2: Or, you know, getting out and doing, how dare you dream? How
1: dare you dream? Well, rest so, rest rest assured, <laughs> Catherine, we are working tirelessly to disrupt that paradigm.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh I think if I think if Jason and I are we would have went into the board and told them similar things. We we're we're uh state certified alcohol and drug counselors and and so that that seemed like within more within the range of something that we could do under the 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 ceiling that they have what's possible for us but if we would have said we were to came, come out here to transform the culture of america the way they think about the currently informally incarcerated and and to host a podcast and interview people like you and uh we might still be in there ourselves <laughs> unfortunately but uh we'll keep on doing the same work that you're doing breaking up paradigms bringing a. uh, uh telling transformational stories, you know, that's one of the purposes of the prison post. We want to bring people on here to tell their transformational story to break up, you know, that, uh, the lies that, you know, once a criminal, always a criminal people go in there and they're just perpetuating criminality for 20 years. People can change, you know, and out here when you, when you make the worst decision, nobody out here who's ever been to prison, you know, who's made the, some of the worst decisions of their life, they don't want to be judged for it for the rest of their lives. You know, they they want to they want to say, you know, I'm sorry I messed up and they don't want to think about it. But you get inside there and uh, you definitely as you described earlier in the show, you know, you you, you feel it every single day mm-hmm. in the way you're treated and where you live. And to go that long for that uh, is, uh, is punishment in itself, not much less 20, 30 years of it.
2: But you know, it's it also speaks to the resilience of the human spirit. I have Absolutely. to say, I know, I know, like like some people are crushed by it, and I've seen that, and that's horrendous. But you know, our, our spirits are so strong. Our need for connection is so strong. Like you know, we want to be seen. We want to be heard. We want to be validated. We want to connect. So, um, you know, I'm so glad that you guys are out and beautiful for you. I'm glad that you subverted the parole system, and <laughs> now
1: you're out. <laughs> well, we we are very extremely appreciative of your work, Absolutely. Catherine, and and your commitment to this, uh, you know, important movement, important movement of of bringing the face of humanity to those of us who are serving time in
0: prison.
2: Uh, thank My you. pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: One more time. Where can they go to watch The Prison The prison Within?
2: Go to theprisonwithin.org, scroll down just a bit, and that'll take you to all the platforms. That's cool. iTunes, Vimeo, YouTube, Comcast, Xfinity, and more.
0: And we also want to encourage you to subscribe to The Prison Post. Uh, you can find us on YouTube, um, uh, Facebook, on our on our website, uh, uh, croporganization.org. We have all of our... All of our pod, pod, podcast episodes there, Apple, iTunes, Spotify, all the major podcast um, uh, platform hosts. You can you can hear our show, The Prison Post. There, this is our 40th episode. It's been a blast to be with you, Catherine, to 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 just be touched and um, have a healing experience last night after watching your documentary, The Prison Within, and um, just uh, hopefully we could stay in touch in some way and and share more about our story with with you. And who knows, maybe there's a collaborative effort in the future. On a on a small piece,
2: absolutely. All right,
0: all right. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you, Kathy. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Prison Post, a production of the Crop Organization. We'll be sharing more stories from the world of prison reform and restorative justice. So please join us. You can listen to the Prison Post on all major podcasting platforms. Subscribe to our video cast on YouTube and like us on Facebook at The Prison Post and at Creating Restorative Opportunities and Programs.